Hey guys, this is Chuck Palumbo, and you're watching the Insider's Edge podcast. Has been paid for by the WZWA Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Insider's Edge podcast here on the WCWA Network. I'm your host with the most on the West Coast, California in Fury. It is great to be with you all again. And and tonight, my friends, another bucket list guy is on the show. Somebody that I've been searching high and low for. And I want to give thanks to Mr. Alan Funk for helping me uh, get into contact with this man right here, right now. You know, one stage in, in the history of this planet, you could have mistaken this man as Tarzan. But he is the one and only former multiple-time tag team champion and for a short period of time was actually the WCW World Heavyweight Champion. He is the one and only Chuck Palumbo. How are you, sir? Hey, Carl. I'm great, man. Thanks for having me, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate it too, sir. And uh, Chuck, usually the first question on the show every single time is, how did you become a wrestling fan when you were a young man? A wrestling fan? Yeah. Or, you know, honestly, I wasn't a wrestling fan growing up. I, um, I knew who Hulk Hogan was. Uh, I knew probably who, you know, Randy Savage was, Macho Man. He had the Slim Jim commercials going and stuff like that. Yep. But I really didn't really become a wrestling fan until I actually got into the business. Really? Interesting. Yeah. That, that seems to have happened for a few guys that I've had on the show as well, though, which is it's always an interesting way to, to come about um, getting involved in the business. Um, so I know uh, you, you, you did a little bit of indie stuff, and this is just from my research. I'd seen that you, you were involved in a segment with the Cat Ernest Miller uh, on an episode of Nitro before you actually offered a, an opportunity to be at the, at the power plant. Is that true? So I was actually at the power plant when that happened. Um, okay. I want to say, yeah, I think it was Terry Taylor came down and said, hey, do you want to, you know, come out to, I think this was the Target Center, uh, Milwaukee. Um, and Terry Taylor said, hey, you want to come and uh, do a little segment? And I said, yeah, sure. Um, at the time, I had never been on TV or anything like that. So it was just a little something, something. And I want to say I, I probably got paid for it too, which was good because at the time, I don't think I was getting paid at the power plant. So <laughs> it, it, it worked out. I actually forgot. I forgot about that, man. I haven't even thought about that in years. I forgot about that. So thanks for reminding me about that. <laughs> Excellent. I seem to be the one that ends up bringing up these things that uh, a lot of people forget. So that's uh, uh, one point for me so far. Here there, you, there you go. <laughs> um, so please, the power plant. Uh, we've had a few guys on the show have the opportunity to tell us about their experiences at the power plant. I know uh, Mr. Sergeant Buddy Lee Parker was quite a tough man, of course, uh, and a lot of people couldn't hack it. Even ex-Marines and athletes all across all sports couldn't handle it. Tell me about your experience at the power plant. So uh, initially I saw the ad on television. That's how I got into wrestling. I saw an ad on TV. Um, I was, I was, I think I was just kind of like surfing through the channels and I saw wrestling. I think it was Monday Nitro, if I'm correct. And I saw these guys wrestling. I don't remember who they were, but I remember them being big guys and being great athletes and it sparked my interest. So I watched for a little bit 
and I saw the the ad pop up for the WCW power plant said, you want to be a wrestler? And it had a phone number. And I basically called the number and eventually got through and um, got a date for a tryout. At the time, I want to say they were trying out 20 to 30 guys, maybe a little more uh, a month. All right. It was 200, 250 bucks. You had to fly your way down there on your own dime, put yourself up in a hotel, get to the building. It was the old power plant, the old um, dungeon. And um, it was 250 bucks. You had to have a money order or cash. You give that to them. And then they, it was basically a weeding out process. Yeah. Uh, 73 days, 72 hours. If you made it through it, there was a chance you could come back. Uh, in my tryout, I, at the end, I think I was the only guy left. Um, and uh, yeah, they pretty much said, hey, uh, if you want to come back, uh, we'll train you. It's going to be 3000 bucks. At that time, I believe it was a lot about money, right? It was their little deal they had going on, you know, 30 guys a month, 250 bucks a pop. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, you know, the wrestling business, right? There's always, <laughs> always some kind of scam going on. But, but, uh, so yeah, I, I made it through. Um, they, they invited me back. Um, I went back to uh, California. I saved up some money and pretty much packed everything. Uh, in a, in my, I had a K5 blazer, like an 83 K5 blazer with a, with a U-Haul and me, my girlfriend and my daughter was a year old at the time. We drove across country with everything we had. And that was wow. it. So, um, sorry to, I kind of wanted to just give you, you know, where, yeah, where I started. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah, the power plant itself was, was grueling, you know, it was the only way for the guys who were there. And I'm talking about the Alan Funks, the Johnny Stambolis, the 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 Mark Jindrax, and the, you know the Skippers and the Sanders and mm. all those great guys. It was our only way in. We didn't know anybody. We weren't second generation. We didn't have friends who were in the business. Um, personally, I didn't know how much was a work, how much wasn't a work. Um, so it was our only way in. So we had to put up with what we put up with if we wanted to break into the business. So. That being said, yeah, it was, and then they knew that and they pretty much beat us silly. I mean, daily worked us to death. Um, a lot of it wasn't about wrestling. A lot of it was about discipline. Um, so it was very paramilitary style, um, you know, thousands of squats a day. And I'm not exaggerating. You can ask the other guys, um, the thousands of squats a day, same with push-ups and all kinds of calisthenics and, um, that was before you did anything in the ring. Right. Uh, and then when you got in the ring, it was, you were learning how to take bumps. So tons of, tons of back bumps and, you know, flips and hitting the ropes hard. And, and the thing was, they didn't set you smart. You know, they didn't educate us beforehand on how to do things. They said, just go in and do it. You know, it was all about, you know, being tough and making it through. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I get it. They were trying, you know, they didn't want to let just anybody in the business. I get that. But at the same time, it was a barbaric way to, to train. And looking back, at times I regret training that way because I put a lot of wear and tear on my body, right? So, right. But again, at the time, you're naive. Um, I saw the opportunity for what they said was a six-figure contract, which it was eventually. But um, I saw that, and I just I was motivated to, to break in and make it. 
and just like the other guys were. So we put up with it and um, we, we, that was pretty much a full-time job. So we were there um, in the beginning, most of us, the first six or seven months, we didn't make a dime. We had to pay to be there. And it was basically nine to four or nine to five, roughly Monday through Friday. That was it on the weekends. All those guys I mentioned, we'd all get together because we all hung out. We were all buddies, all trying to make it in the business, which was a fantastic time for us because we were all uh, enjoying that camaraderie, all had the same goals in mind, and we all had the same work ethic. And it's very rare that you get a group of guys who have that work ethic. Very rare. You don't see it today, especially that Absolutely. many guys. Um Absolutely. And that's, so, yeah. that's a hell of a class of guys as well, I must say. Uh, that, yeah. Uh, that ended up, you all kind of came up onto television together, uh, it, it seemed. But um, uh, one question I wanted to ask was, uh, how long did you train in the power plant before they finally brought you to TV? I want to say um, at the seven, maybe the, at the seven month mark, they sent me to Japan, to New Japan. I did TV over there, New Japan. Um, and then I came back and I want to say I did some Saturday night TV tapings. Oh gosh, but I don't know how it, I'm guessing maybe a year. I don't remember. You'd have to ask some of the other guys like Alan Funk and, um, some of the other guys, they got like a, they know everything about everything we did. So a lot of times I'll refer to those guys, you know, <laughs> fair but enough. I, I, I'd say about a year, you know what I mean? Yeah, and I can fill in some of the blanks here because uh, it, it appears your debut in WCW is on Saturday night. This is from my research. March 2nd, 1999, teaming with your boy, Mark Jindrak, to take on uh, great friends of our show, Disorderly Conduct, at the Winthrop, uh, Winthrop University in Rock Hill, South Carolina. Does that sound about correct? It may be. Did we do TV that night or just live? a live... Uh house show i, I believe remember. that was an episode of saturday night <laughs> see i i always thought my first match was with like at, at the rome uh georgia civic center but i might be wrong let's have it's a horrible look right i've i've, I've it, got it, all the information horrible, in front of me here let's 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 get to the bottom of this right here uh <laughs> <laughs> Uh, geez, Rome, Georgia is uh, the 28th of uh, September 1999. It's the first one I see against John uh, Johnny the Bull Stamboli. Yep. Uh, but it appears before that you had that tag match uh, with Mark in March and then two matches in September on the 4th and 5th on house shows against Hardbody Harrison. That may be right. That may be right. I do remember... Um, wrestling with Mark early on, and it might have been the show you, you, you know, you're uh, speaking of. And I remember I was so excited. I want to say I jumped over the ropes before I even got the tag to come in. All right. I was so nervous and so excited. <laughs> I want to say I jumped over the ropes and before, you know, I was so excited. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, you do make those appearances uh, and, and, and the appearance on Worldwide uh, against Johnny the Bull. Uh, and obviously those matches with uh, Hardbody Harrison. I know he was a bit of an oddball. Uh, do, do you have any stories of, uh, of what he was like? He was a wild dude, man. You know, it's funny because he was like, and I think he would even call himself, he was like a thug, right? Right. Thug kind of guy. Um, but, um, 
he was a hard worker. He was tough as nails, but he always had some some type of scam going. You know what I mean? He was just uh, he always had he he always he was always working some angle. But um, honestly, my my personal dealings with him, he was very helpful, and he and he and he taught me a bit. Um, so. Yeah, I really never had any issues with him, but I know he bumped heads with some guys, but he was always good with me. I do remember on a TV taking uh, TV taping, I remember, I think I super kicked him because, you know, early on, my super kicks were kind of, you know, a little bit out of control, unfortunately. Yeah. And I want to say I super kicked him in the side of the face. I think I might have knocked one of his teeth out. <laughs> one of his teeth fell out. Yeah. So I do remember that. <laughs> but... Uh, yeah. But, um, you know, honestly, when he was at the power plant, because he spent a lot of time there, he worked hard. I mean, he was nuts, but he yeah. worked hard, you know? <laughs> yeah, I and think, I do. Uh, did he, he got, um, he ended up getting locked up for uh, like pimping or something. Some didn't sort he? of, yeah, some sort of uh, thing where uh, I, I think the ladies weren't allowed to leave the house or something like that. I don't know. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> so it was yeah. kind of like uh, held against their will almost. Uh, I don't know. I think he, he might have. Hey, you, know, you, know, you know what it is, man? At the end of the day, right, we all come from different backgrounds. So you never know. You, you don't know how he was raised, right? Yeah. Who knows? But uh, <laughs> but he was a character, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so like from there, Chuck, I, I do remember this because uh, I've seen every episode of, of WCW Saturday Night. That's that's how much of a nerd I am. Uh, that's fan- <laughs> hey, you know something, man? That's fantastic. That's that's yeah. awesome. That, well, that, to, to me, it's important for me to be able to say I've seen every piece of WCW programming from any of those syndicated shows that not many people would, would have caught, but I've seen everything. Um, but... One awesome. thing I noticed is there, there was this particular period of time just before Vince Russo came in where all of a sudden Saturday night was just this influx of power plant talent. Um, and, you know, I could list off them all, but, I, you know, I'd be here a while. But you have this run sure. of defeating Mark Jindrak, Sonny Siaki, um, Devin Storm, Jindrak again, Mike Sanders, Rick Cornell, a.k.a. Reno, before suffering your first singles loss against Lenny Lane on March 14th, 2000. Did the company see big things in you from the outset? Because it seemed like, uh, from my perspective, they were continuing to keep you strong on TV, winning week after week. Sure. Um, I think that was heavily influenced by Jimmy Hart. Okay. I think uh, Jimmy Hart was kind of running that uh, at the time. And he was trying to get some of the younger, newer talent out there. And um, I think that may may have had a lot to do with him. Um, I really do. Um, To be honest, like, I really didn't know for sure if they were like, no one ever told me, hey, we're going to push you hard, kid. You know what I mean? No one ever told me that. But um, I could sense that they were... um, they liked me um, and they, you know, decided to put me over on people, which was, which was fantastic. You know, I, I got, you know, I got to tell you and everybody who's watching or listening, I was super green. I learned on TV, like when, when I was in WCW early on, especially, well, the whole time, but especially during the Saturday night TV tapings and stuff, I was super green. I was still learning. I was still learning my whole career, obviously, but at that point, I mean, I was really green and, um, and I was learning on TV, you know, 
most most of these guys, um, you know, back in that era, most of those guys worked indies um, and non-televised events for years before they got an opportunity on TV. So, um, yeah, we were super, super fortunate, you know. I mean, we worked hard, don't get me wrong, and they needed some change. There was a lot of guys, um, you know, it was their time to go and time for some new guys to come in. But um, at the same time, we were still learning, you know. Absolutely. And uh, speaking of being under a learning tree, uh, your, your Thursday Thunder debut was March 21st, 2000 at the TD Waterhouse in Orlando against Scott Steiner. Uh, how did this one go? Was it a bit, was it a tad daunting, you know, still being green in the business and here you are working with uh, Scott Steiner? It was awesome. Um, I remember, I do remember that match uh, vividly. Um, and honestly, Jeff Jarrett, a lot of people don't know this, but uh, I knew Jeff and I knew Scott just a little bit from uh, Coffee's Gym. Coffee's Gym in Atlanta was a was a famous gym in Atlanta. Um, and I saw I bumped into Scott there a couple times when I was uh, at the power plant. I would go to the power plant and then work out at Coffee's Gym in, in Atlanta. And uh, anyway, uh, so I met Scott prior to that. But I didn't know him that well, but he was real, it was real cool with me and, and real nice to me. And I remember, and then, um, that, that thunder, I want to say Scott had just come back. He had had back surgery a while back. Yeah. He just come back. He had rehabbed it. Um, he looked fantastic. I remember Jeff making that happen. Jeff Jarrett. Uh, he might remember more than me, but I remember Jeff coming up to me and say, Hey, listen, you know, uh, I talked to Scotty, uh, he'll be working with him. But beep, beep, beep. And actually, believe it or not, he took care of me. Everybody, you know, people have the wrong. I know Scott's one of my close friends. I talk to him all the time. I've been close friends with him since since then. And, um, and you know, I, I knew Rick well, too, after. But uh, his brother. But um, a lot of guys don't know Scott is one of the most down-to-earth, solid human beings you'll meet. He's a family man. He's a great father. He's got a fantastic wife, great kids. Um, a lot of people don't know that about him. They just see what they see on TV and all the BS, but <laughs> he was solid. He took care of me. We were friends since. That's great. You know? I'll, t I'll tell you one thing about Scott Steiner. When when I was a kid, I I was like, well, you know, my dad had already kind of given away to me that this wasn't entirely real. But when I watched it, I was like, but I'm, I was convinced, but Scott Steiner, he's the only one that's allowed to to do real. Well, everything he does <laughs> is real. And for some reason, I thought the Big Boss Man as well. But I, I I always thought Big Boss Man and Scott Steiner they're they're allowed to be real for some reason in my little head. Right. That's what I believed. Um. So well, he got me. That's a that's a great point that you bring up, man. Because think about it, they were believable. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's big. The way they moved, the way they worked, the way they. Uh, you know, yeah, you know, a lot of guys, I hear guys cry, not cry, but complain about like people being stiff and stuff. As long as you're safe and you're not hurting people, if you're a little snug, I mean, this isn't tiddlywinks and it looks yeah. so much better. Yeah. When you see guys throwing, you know, because I see it sometimes today, and it's not a knock. We have all the wrestlers are fantastic, but I see some weak punches here and there, and I see some stuff that looks a little uh, too pretty. Mm -hmm. And I go, you know, this is, this is, pro wrestling guys so you know i always told um my opponents hey look i apologize now i'm gonna be 
safe, but I might be a little snug. And I would say, but please give it back in return. I think it makes for a better, a better showing. You know, I agree 100 percent. Yeah, I, I see it yeah. today sometimes. I'm like, man, come on, I can do it better. Yeah. <laughs> Just yeah. sometimes. But yeah, like and, and speaking, you know, from my perspective, I always thought you had one hell of a right hand. Uh, great, great. Oh, uh, thank you. I always thank you very much. I appreciate it. I always prided myself um, in that. That was one thing I always wanted to make real good, because when you see a weak punch, it's just, you know, it's not good. <laughs> That's it. And, and you know, but when I think you. of the the great punches in the business, there's four names that come to mind. Bob Cook, Bobby Eaton, Scott Hall, Chuck Palumbo. They're my, my four favorite working you, Well, that's I would agree with you on those other guys. Um, I studied Scott Hall's punch and kind of made it into my own. Yeah. But I'd be lying if I didn't say that. I studied his punch because when I saw it, I was like, Oh man, that punch looks good. Um, so I kind of tried to study that punch. At the time, we had VHS only, right? We didn't have, you know, WWE Network or you couldn't just go on YouTube or anything like that. There was no YouTube. So I'd get yeah. VHS tapes and I would, I'd watch his, his uh, punch. This is later on in his career. Yeah. Um, he, was a, he was a big guy also, but he had real good footwork. He was smooth, had solid, everything was solid. He was as... Um, you know, at, towards the end of his career, he really evolved and was he was he was good. Yeah, and it's so funny that you say that because all those years, I always used to think I bet Chuck uh, likes uh, Scott Hall's punches. They're just always in my mind. There you go. There you <laughs> um, go. So out of the gate, okay, this is this is crazy. You know, for a young guy, uh, when you get brought to TV, uh, you know, you're you're being named the the main event. Uh, you're going to be working with Lex Luger. You work with Terry Funk in a hardcore match. You're working with Diamond Dallas Page. Right out of the gate, uh, and this is the Vince Russo, Eric Bischoff era, and I know Vince is writing the show. And you know, he's obviously he sees something in you, and he's and he's putting you in this uh, great position. How did you feel coming straight in? You know, you'd been doing the Saturday night stuff, you'd yeah. been doing some of this other stuff, but now you're 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 in the thick of it right in right out of the get go. Honestly, I was living a dream. I was living the dream. You know, think about it, right? Here's a young guy. Now I'm starting to make a, a, a really decent check, right? Really decent payday. Um, you know, I come from very humble beginnings. I have never, you know, I never had anything growing up. And it was, you know, um, my parents were, you know, blue collar. And, you know, um, so to, to, to make it, I say make it to, but to get to a point in wrestling where you're making good money and you're on TV and you're working with um, top guys, it was just, yeah, it was incredible. It was probably, probably one of the most memorable times of my career and one of the most fun for sure. Um, looking back, I'm not sure if I realized how fortunate I was uh, after learning, when I finally learned the business, it takes years and years to learn the business. And when I say learn, I, I'm not talking about in the ring. I'm talking about in the ring backstage contracts you know the whole nine yards politics because unfortunately but you know uh the facts are the facts all that stuff's part of it right so so yeah i was super lucky we're i mean we're having the time of our life man i mean can you imagine all the power plant guys traveling on the road together i mean <laughs> we, were, we were we were having a blast we were you know and we were on tv and you know back then um to be on TV back then was a 
bigger deal, a lot bigger deal than it is today, right? Yeah. It's kind of when you could because you couldn't watch, there was no YouTube. Mm. There was none of these, there's no internet. So when you saw someone on TV, it was it, it was big. Um and we and we knew that and we were like just so so grateful to be there. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. I mean there weren't as many options back then. So you no. know, you got millions of people, millions upon millions of people watching WCW, WWF at the time. You're going to be yep. seen as a massive deal. You know, it's not like now where there's yep. 500 channels and Netflix and all the streaming services where there's a million and one people now that are on television. But uh, Exactly. <laughs> uh, you formed so, a perfect event. Sorry, Chuck, keep going. No, no, no. I was just going to say, so it was a great, it was just a great time to to, to be doing it. No worries. Um, but yes, you form a team called The Perfect Event with Sean Stasiak. Uh, and the next thing you know, you won half of the tag team champions. Uh, when I'm looking at my research, I was like, wow, I didn't realize that like some of this stuff came so soon, but this is fantastic, you know, and, and for Sean as well, who was such a hard worker, you know, with his dad being a former WWF champion and never really getting yep. the recognition that he deserved. Now he's getting something great as well. So how does this feel to be able to share this with someone like Sean? Uh, it was fantastic. I mean, cause he was a good worker already. Um, he was still young and very energetic and very, excited about being in the business he was very excited about being in the business so um yeah it was it was it was a great time um he's a character you, you have to know sean like i i felt like i got to know sean pretty well um, when he was my tag team partner and he was a character a little quirky um he had a uh a unique sense of humor but i, I found him i found him funny um and he was he was a good-hearted good-hearted guy but we had a lot of fun and again, I think he felt the same way. It's like, wow, here we are, young, on TV, wrestling, doing what we love to do. It was, you know, can you imagine? I mean, put yourself in our shoes, right? <laughs> so absolutely, yeah. You have him awesome. with your bros on the road. You're on yeah, TV. I mean, it's a dream, yeah. right there. And, yeah. and the, the, you know, I'm sure you've talked about the natural born thrillers to death on many interviews, but I can't do a Chuck Palumbo interview. That's okay. Talking about that yourself, Sean, Mike Sanders, Sean O'Hare. Mark Jindrak and Reno, uh, this group is formed and, you know, you're running a little rough shot over the company here for, for a while. Uh, this is fantastic. It really, I really think Vince Russo came up with a pretty, I assume it was his idea, but uh, I yes. think this is a great thing here to put all these young guys together. And as he always used to say, he would try and like uh, break down that foundation that they always relied on and try to get some new fresh faces out there to get some new yep. stuff. Cause there's only so many times you can see Hogan and Flair wrestle each other. You might want to see them wrestle someone else as they get Absolutely. over. Um, but one thing I did find interesting and, and please also talk about, you know, how you felt about that idea, but uh, 21st of August, 2000, I believe is the date for a solid minute. You were WCW world heavyweight champion. <laughs> it's That's right. Amazing. An amazing little moment there, but tell me about you how your thoughts on the idea, but also at least for a second how it felt to hold that belt up in the air, even though you knew that there was going to be a swerve. Right. Um, so the natural born thriller idea was fantastic. Um, and that was a little bit of us as a group and Vince Russo. Um and yeah, Vince Russo, he, 
you know, it's, it's tough because he took a lot of, he took a lot of shit, you know, and, you know, honestly, he had um, good intentions with the young guys and it was a great idea. And it was, it was on its way into becoming something. Yeah. Um, we were so ahead of our time and I'm not bragging about us as a group, but I'm really proud of those guys. We were all so ahead of our time as far as our size and athleticism and what we were doing. Yeah. We all were green and still learning how to, you know, the, the real inside psychology, but, um, we were on our way and yeah, it was a, just a fantastic time. Um, but you know, you remember he, he got a lot of pushback too, you know, cause you got a lot of, there's a lot of politics going on and he's getting pushed back. He's trying to fight that. Um, so it was, t- it wasn't easy for him to do what he wanted to do, mm. you know? Um, but yeah. And then to get to the point where, um, I actually had the strap for a minute or so it was just, you know, it is, I never cared about really being a champion. I ne- it never really meant a ton to me. I-, I felt like it was a prop, but at the same time, it makes you feel important as far as the company goes when they're Mm. actually doing that with you and putting that on you. So, um, I was just, tell me, some technical issues there. what's going on here my internet's connected not seem to i don't know if you're there chuck but uh you're frozen for a second i lost him okay he'll be back in a minute i'm sure this is great this is a great interview sorry jack something must have happened with his internet because I am still connected to the internet. Yes, I am. And we're still recording. So here we go. He's coming back. Hey, bro. I don't know what happened, man. It's happened before. Just sometimes... uh, uh, it disconnects, but anyway, we're still recording. All good. Um, yes, you're talking about uh, the belt. You kind of feel like it's more of a prop, but you know, when you get given a belt, it's the the company is showing that they believe in you, and that means something. Absolutely. So um, I was very excited about that. Um, yeah, it was just a great time, and you know, like like we we're, we're we're talking about this is early on. I only been in the business a short period of time when all this is happening. So, yeah. um, was, was very fortunate. Absolutely. And, and the thing uh, is, who knows, who knows what it would have happened, right? If WCW was still here or, or at least lasted another five or 10 years, who knows what would or could have happened, right? You never know. Absolutely. You never know. That might've actually, you know, been something that they would go back to as you're getting a championship opportunity and you win the belt, you know, he had it for a minute once, but it got taken away from him. 
whatever. Anyway. <laughs> uh, oh, you're right. <laughs> you become tag champions eventually with Sean O'Hare. May he rest in peace. Uh, yeah. After defeating the Insiders, uh, not just to play on, on my podcast name, but Kevin Nash and Diamond oh, Dallas yeah. Page at WCW Sin on January 14th, 2001. So this is pretty big, you know. Uh, oh, yeah. You, you're working with two massive legends in the wrestling industry on pay-per-view and you're going over. So I guess, uh, you know, the politics didn't affect this match as far as some of those top names concerned. How was it working with Nash and DDP? It was fantastic. Those guys uh, were big believers in the young guys. They took a liking to us. Um, Kevin, especially we had a great Kevin taught us a lot, not only in the ring, but outside the ring. He taught us a lot about how to navigate through the business. Kevin was, uh, he was, uh, he was, he was, he was great about that. And we hung out with him a lot. So, uh, you know, here we are young guys. Yeah. You know, after, after the show, we'd be down at the hotel bar, hanging out, having a beer with him. And, and, and we'd be getting an education from him. We really would be. So, um, yeah, it was fantastic. It was fantastic. Awesome, like you, like you said, like you said, two guys, uh, legends in the industry. So couldn't ask for more. Absolutely. And, and I think you're the, maybe the first person I've interviewed that worked that pay-per-view sin. And I, I gotta, I gotta bring this up because I just want to know your perspective Poor Sid, uh, when he when he when he jumped off the top rope and he broke his leg that way, it, one of the worst things that I think I've ever seen in wrestling. What was what was the reaction backstage? What was your reaction when you saw that happen? Because it's it's one of those moments in history which are just, gosh. Uh, I was I was right there. Um, I remember helping carry him. Oh gosh. Um, and um, I'm not sure if he remembers this, but I remember right there. And um, he was in pain. And, you know, uh, you know, he's a big, strong man. And uh, when you see a big, strong man with a scared look on his face, mm. you, know, you know he's in pain, right? When you, yeah. see, when you see a big, strong man with, with fear in his face, you, you know he's hurt. So, um, yeah, um, any... Breaks like that are gross anyway, right? Thank yeah. God. I think what saved I think what saved him from possibly rupturing an artery or because it would have been even uglier if he didn't have those high boots on. Mm. I it'd be curious to ask him if he thinks that really made a difference because it, can you can you imagine if he didn't he wasn't wearing those high boots? Yeah. You know? So I think it, that really uh, played a role in in, in and uh, not making any, I mean, it was, I'm not discounting the fact that it was, it was gory. It was gruesome. That's yeah. a good term, gruesome. <laughs> but um, thank God he had those tall boots. He wore those very, very high boots. I think that was a blessing. Absolutely. Yeah. Who, who knows how much worse it could have been. Uh, yeah. So this is, this is uh, early 2001. This stage at all, are you hearing any rumblings about the company closing down or being bought sold whatever yeah if i remember correctly um we were hearing about eric possibly buying it um 
they might have, I don't remember, I can't recall the name, but they might have been someone else who was interested in it. And I don't mean a single person, but maybe a, um, you know, a company or, or a business or a corporation. Um, but I don't, I can't remember for sure. But yeah, I mean, there was, there was talks of Eric buying it. Um, I think that was it. Um, yeah, that was it. Right. As far um, as, as far as Vince buying it, I don't think we found that out until the last minute. Oh gosh. You know what I mean? It seems to be uh, the general consensus is that like when the, everyone found out that Vince had bought it was either the week of or the day of the final night true, which is one I want to get to because uh, this is one of my favorite questions to ask uh, on the show. I've, I've, I've had the chance to have a few people that were there. Uh, Christine Johnson, who was a producer, Neil Pruitt, who was working behind the scenes as well. Sure. Uh, Scott Hudson, who was obviously on commentary. But uh, the final Nitro, March 26, 2001, Club La Vila. Um, I'm sorry, pa uh, Panama City. Uh, you yeah. and uh, Sean O'Hare walk out the final tag team champions retaining over Lance Storm and Mike Awesome. Can you please tell me your recollection of that whole day and what did you do after the show? Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I remember uh, Shane, I, I remember the locker room and I remember Shane walking in the locker room, Shane McMahon, introducing himself and kind of giving us the 411 on, on what was going down. Um, I remember it was kind of an eerie feeling. I remember it was an uncomfortable feeling for the WCW guys. Um, you know, we didn't know what was going to happen. We really, no one told us what was going on. So we really didn't know what was going to happen. Um, I remember the match, um, Mike awesome. Uh, God bless him. He was a, he was a, uh, a sweet man. Yeah. Um, and then Lance storm, obviously, uh, he's a gentleman, great guy, gentleman, um, taught me a lot. Um, but, um, yeah, I just remember not knowing what was going to happen next. I mean, you're going to wonder, right? So we're on top of the world. Yeah. Two weeks prior, two weeks prior to that, we're on top of the world. Two weeks later, we don't know if we're going to have a job, if we're going to be able to stay in the industry at all in any capacity. So it was a, it was a, it was a scary time, and, you know, and, not only that, you know, we have mortgages, we have children, not just me, I'm speaking of everybody. We have, you know, we have bills, right? Yeah. And so it, it was, it was just a uneasy time, uneasy time. But, um, you know, fortunately, uh, I got picked up right away. Um, well, then actually I just, I went right over right away, you know, fortunately, but, um, after that, I don't remember after what happened that day. Um, I remember we hung out. I don't know if Steve, the kid Steve from Jackass. Yep. I remember hanging out with him, but I don't know if it was in Panama City, but I don't know if it was that night. It might have been a different uh, different showing, but uh, us, you know, a lot of the thrillers and uh, and him. Anyway, but yeah, I don't mention, I don't remember much about uh, after the show. Um, we always had a good time after the shows, all of us just hanging out, you know, we're, we're young and we're all buddies. So it was, yeah. it was fantastic. It's funny how much the locker room changed when um, I went to WWF because like WCW, like I said, we're all buddies. We're all hung out. It was a great locker room to be in, believe it or not. Um, 
And um, that all changed when we went to WWF. It wasn't as much fun, you know what I mean? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and Chuck, at this time, is it all right if I just take a 30-second break to go to the toilet? <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll be back in a minute. Are you there? I think maybe I lost him again. Well, that was lucky because I need to go to the toilet anyway. Fuck you now. That's all right. Shit happens. Hey bro. <laughs> we'll get we'll get we'll get through it, man. <laughs> That's cool, man. And uh and Jack, if you're watching this, is the guy that edits the show. I'm sorry that there's gonna be an edit job. These things happen, man. Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Chuck, as you were saying, okay, your, your contract got picked up by the WWF. Um, that first day, I believe this is the date, June 18th, 2001, uh, where you make your debut. Uh, I believe you and Sean uh, kind of come in and, and, and rough up the Hardy Boys. Um, how did the locker room treat the WCW guys coming in? Because from what I've gathered over the years from other interviews, it was a little icy. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I'm sure those guys look back now and go, "Wow, we were immature." But you know, uh, yeah, they didn't treat they didn't treat us well. I, I mean, it was almost like they believed that this competition between WCW and WWF was personal. Do you know what I mean? Um, at the end of the day, it's a business. But, um, yeah, they weren't welcoming. Um, you know how that goes, though, right? That, that's an old-school mentality. It's a little different nowadays, but that was an old-school mentality. Um, you had to earn your spot. Um, I get it. But um, could it have been better for everyone, including them? us and the business absolutely they had befriended us and we worked together and uh did it right but you know that's how things go sometimes right that's their territory that's their home here we come yeah um, i look at it this way 
if you're as a talent, if you're there, then you deserve to be there. If you've gotten to that point, then you deserve to be there. Absolutely. Now, if you're a jerk or you're disrespectful, or you're mistreating people, that's a different story. Yeah. But if, if, if you go up there with the right intention, right intentions, you're polite, you're respectable. Um, I think you deserve to be there, but you know, that's just how things go. If I was to run a business, I wouldn't have allowed it. But then again, does Vince know this is all going on? Maybe not. Mm. Um, so yeah, there was some game playing. There was some BS, but uh, yeah, it was part of it, I guess, at the time. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, when this, all this is happening, who would you say was the first guy from the other, the other, the other team that you connected with and became friends with? Oh, wow. That's a good question. Was Steve Regal already up there? Yes. Okay. He was definitely one of them. Very helpful. Um, Billy Gunn. This is before we tagged. Great guy. Very helpful. Um, I remember those two guys. This is a good question. I haven't thought about this. I appreciate that question. So, yeah, Steve Regal, Billy Gunn. I'm sure there were some others. Um, but off the top of my head, yeah, maybe those two guys. Excellent. And I love when someone says that's a good question. Uh, that means I'm doing something good. I'm asking something that yeah, doesn't get you, asked. Yeah, you are. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, I'm just going to say it. Uh, the WWF completely mishandled the angle as far as, uh, as, far as I'm concerned. Uh, I think anyone could have come up with something better than what ended up happening. Um, yeah. What are your thoughts on how they handled this uh, invasion angle? Um, I mean, look, it was incredible seeing the invasion pay-per-view because you never thought you would see it. But what happened after that? Your thoughts on, on the run? Well, here's the thing. It was, a, it was the most real time in the industry ever. The only other time it was that real as far as I know, was probably when um, Scott Hall and Kevin Nash jumped ship. Yeah. Right? Showed yeah. up on Nitro. Yeah. Um, why wasn't it capitalized on more? I mean, here's the most real time in the business where you have real tension and real talent from two real companies merging together where in the past there had been real competition as far as television ratings goes. Why didn't we use that? It was like, it was like, it was right there. Um, so yeah, I don't, I mean, it's easy for me to say this now, right? Um, at the time, I probably didn't know what to do either, but I would think that management at this point, you know, but then again, Vince is not the only guy there, right? He's got a lot of guys underneath him that are in his ear and, yeah. you know, yeah. So you, you don't know what's going on. But, um, yeah, it could have been, could have been way better. And I, I think all of the talent, I may be wrong, but I think almost all of the talent will agree. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's a universal agreement. Uh, <laughs> I think they really could have taken their time a little bit just – 
slow a slower build because this angle could have gone on for for four or five years if they wanted oh. to because you could wait for those guys and their contracts with AOL Time Warner to run out and you can bring them in slowly but surely and you could have all these yeah. dream matches and, and all this yeah. stuff but oh well yeah. you know it is what it is uh hey listen I, I was glad to be there you know you know what it is I was glad to be in the industry at that time because that'll never happen again yeah There'll never be two companies that established where one gets bought out by the other. That'll never happen again. No, no, definitely not. So it, it is special in one way, but also uh, on the other side of the coin, we all know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I wanted to bring this up. It was 17th of September, 2001 on Jacked. And October 2nd, 2001, we worked, you worked with Billy Gunn for the first and second time. You've already answered this because the question was, did you two click from the get-go? Um, but... Does this end up leading to discussions um, that you're going to be put together because you're getting along, the angle's coming to an end very soon? How did the idea come about with Billy and Chuck? Um, so, honestly, the facts, I don't know. Because, it, obviously, in the, in, in, the, in the industry, you just never know why things happen, like, as far as to the fact. But... Um, they had at the time Billy wasn't doing anything on television. Um, Sean had been sent down to OBW, if I'm correct. Yeah. So I'm by myself now. Um, here you have Billy, who's uh, a very experienced veteran, and then me, uh, young and new, and still new and young in the business. So it was a good combination, obviously, just to get us working in the ring together, even though it was just, you know, singles matches. Yeah. So it started there. And then, um, I'm not sure, you know, who, I'm guessing maybe Billy had spoke with, uh, producers or management and said, Hey, you know, I, I'd like to work with this kid. Maybe, I don't know. Because when we first started working together, we weren't really, we were, you know, Billy Gunn and Chuck Palumbo. We weren't doing the Billy and Chuck right in the beginning. Yeah. If you remember correctly. Um, I want to say we had, probably had at least one tag match, at least one before we were actually Billy and Chuck. Is that correct? Yeah. You watched all the matches, you said. So I've seen, I've seen it all, bro. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, um, so yeah. So then I, I do know that the Billy and Chuck thing itself, um, uh, I think that was built up because of uh, cable television network ratings week. So that whole partners for life or wedding ceremony was supposed to happen on that actual night. Right. And it did. And I think it ended up being the top rated cable uh, show that night. Um, I think that's why uh, they went that way. Now in the beginning, was that the plan? I'm not sure. They just, you know, I was just told by maybe Sergeant Slaughter, Vince, and maybe uh, Paul of um, I was probably, I want to say they just told me, Hey, you're going to have, you know, you're going to do this flamboyant gimmick with Billy. You guys are going to have platinum blonde hair and you're going to wear robes. That was really the extent of it. And then as the characters evolved, we did more and more. And honestly, man, you know, it's funny because some guys will give you shit and say, Oh, how come you played that character? It's like, really dude, I'm, and I, I tell people this all the time. We may not be the greatest actors, but we are, in fact, actors to a point. 
Yeah. Right. We're playing a character. You're playing a character. Don't take it personal. Have fun with it. And we, we, we oh man, that was the easiest money I ever made. We had so much fun. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm going to get to a lot of that uh, later on. But some of the segments backstage were just hilarious. I don't care what anyone says. You two, when you, you're, you're both on the floor stretching your groins or whatever, and you got your ass yeah. all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> poking out the way that the way it's just some great stuff man i don't care oh. uh, <laughs> um, thank you I, they, i'm glad thank you i appreciate that i'm glad you appreciate it man we had i mean we had so much fun i i, I can't i can't tell you Jeez. yeah i can tell it'd be hard to uh keep a straight face through through some no pun intended oh yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. but uh yeah, one, yeah. <laughs> one thing i wanted to bring up i'm not sure i'm sure you've 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 conversed with alan about this but were you aware of what kind of happened to a lot of your uh your boys from wcw that were in uh heartland wrestling and also ovw uh this was, I want to bring this up because if I feel like this is like a tragic day for a lot of these guys. Um, you know, there's a day where I guess the office come down one after another. They're brought into a room, Elix Skipper, you know, Reno, a whole bunch of guys one after another. They're, they're all just getting let go. And I think the only one who managed to survive all of that was Johnny the Bull Stamboli, but Lash LaRue, Allen, you know, all of these guys that were on television, WCW, and starting to do really well right near the end, they found themselves back in developmental as the invasion angle was going on. Were you aware of what happened to all of them? Because I kind of feel like they all got, they got screwed over pretty badly there. They did. They honestly, they honestly did. And it was, it was, Unfortunate. I think it could have been handled better. Might have lost him again there, but at least he answered the question. <laughs> Fuck. I don't know why it keeps on disconnecting on his end because it doesn't seem like the uh, connection is bad. He's not cracking up a lot, so I'm not sure why this keeps on freezing for him. Oh, well, that's her. Sorry, Jack. Is what it is, man. You can run and you can hide. We had our problems, but I'm on your side. Sorry, Jack. Bro, what am I supposed to fucking do, man? This is a great interview. We're not too far from the end now. We're a bit more Billy and Shark than some FBI shit. I think because of all this, he'll give me more time, so he probably feels bad.
Hmm. Taking a bit longer to come back in. Maybe it's resetting his internet or something. We had our problems, but I'm on your side. There we go. <laughs> Sorry, Australia, <Jack>. right? <laughs> Australia? Yeah, Australia. <laughs> hey, man, I mean, we're pretty lucky to be doing this anyway, right? It's like... <laughs> The fact that you're over there and I'm over here, it's crazy. It's, it's amazing. It is. It's amazing. Uh, and it, it's fine. Uh, Jack's just going to do a bit of editing. but uh, <laughs> Jack, we're sorry, brother. <laughs> sorry, Jack. Uh, so the last thing that you said was you thought that they could have handled it better. That seemed like a pretty good end to the answer there. Uh, but And it's true. Uh, but out of all the WCW guys that came across – Post invasion and alliance and and all that angle, you seem to really flourish quite a lot out of out of most of them. You know, uh, I know Chavo did quite well, but a few others they weren't used uh, to their potential. But you're being used to be your potential here. You become world tag team champion with Billy by defeating Taz and Spike on the February twenty first edition of SmackDown. Um, how does it feel for you to have been able to come over and? Uh, I guess that the company, you know, obviously see something in you and are giving you an opportunity. Um, it was a relief, number one, because, you know, as I said earlier, you just never know what's going to happen. So it was, it was a relief. And then um, once I felt like um, I kind of established myself there as a person where they got to know me, um, I thought, okay, hey, I'm, I'm going to be okay for a little while. I mean, you never know in this industry. This industry can be downright cutthroat. But they took enough of a liking to me to keep me and continue to use me. And then, obviously, you know, put me in the angle with, with Billy. You know, to get to work with Billy, you know, he, you're talking about a guy who's just an incredible athlete, incredible worker. Tag team skills are just, you know up here um yeah. yeah i was very fortunate so yeah I, I was i was still very happy still very happy it wasn't uh, it wasn't like wcw i wasn't having the fun i was having in wcw 
it was more like I was, it was, you, I had more pressure uh, when I got to WWF. I felt like there was right. more pressure. Um, in WCW, I felt there was a little bit of pressure, but I was just, we were having fun and everybody around me was having fun. It was just a good time. Um, but yeah, I'm uh, just happy that they still have me there, you know, and we're using me, we're using me, so... Yeah, and, and speaking of pressure, this is exciting to, to be able to perform on a WrestleMania, WrestleMania 18. Uh, you must be floating on cloud nine to be able to perform in front of all of those people at that pay-per-view. Yeah, it was, um, I remember, I think it was um, Air Canada Center, maybe, Toronto, right? Yeah. Um, I remember walking down to the ring and it seemed like forever and it just, it sounded like, just like, that just like that buzzing noise and it was yeah. just yeah it was amazing um once in a lifetime opportunity and like i told you before you know I, we, we spoke about it. i come from humble beginnings so to be able to do that and have that opportunity that was huge um and i think we retained did we retain the titles i believe so yeah i think we did yeah so yeah it was awesome awesome yeah man i just you know when you find out someone you're going to interview someone and they worked on a WrestleMania. You've got to ask about that. Uh, I want to yeah. bring it to, to Rico, uh, the stylist yeah. of Billy and Chuck. Um, I don't know how he's doing these days. I haven't seen any updates on him in a while, but I hope he's doing okay. Um, I do too. I how did, too. Yeah. Uh, and after this, I'm going to see if I can uh, do some research and find out how he's doing. But uh, did you enjoy working with him? Because uh, he was just, he was fantastic. He really oh, yeah. <laughs> that guy, he played that role to a T. He was a great worker. He could, Rico could do it all. He could do it all. And uh, we had a great time with him. And, you know, as far as the characters go, you think about it, you got Billy, myself, and now we hire a stylist. <laughs> I mean, I mean, that was fantastic. Yeah. That was fantastic. And he took that character and he, he, you know, he played it, he played it up to a team, took it as far as he could take it. It was fantastic. You know, it's, it's crazy. Can you imagine if we never did the, uh, the wedding or the, the, the partners for life angle, we just kept going. Yeah. I mean, who knows where that could have went. Exactly. Um, but, um, you know, you know, and also you gotta look back, like there was no talk about, the you know genders and uh gender identity and same-sex marriage and all there was really no talk about that this was cutting-edge stuff at the time um can you imagine if we did it today so but Absolutely. yeah uh, great guy great great guy to work with great worker um played the character to a t yeah yeah you know no what, if, there. If, if that happened today, you guys would get cheered for that segment. But back then, <laughs> a lot of yeah. going on in the crowd there. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what's um, funny is like we were supposed to be villains, but we were over like baby faces when we were working prior to this actual night. Yeah. And um, I, you know, I remember. I just remember the you know the crowd getting a great reaction from the crowd. And I think when they thought we were swaying the other way with this, uh, the ceremony, I think they're like, oh man, come on guys, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, but um, yeah, man, uh, just a fun, fun time, fun time. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, when I was uh, watching this back then, I, I was 
I was adamant that Lenny Lane and Lodi were going to show up and you were, we were going to have this feud uh, because, you know, they'd done this kind of tag team in WCW. I, I don't know. Was there ever a thought in anyone's mind at all? I mean, I've asked them. I've had them both on the show as well. Ever anyone mention, hey, maybe that might be an idea? They didn't, but that would have been a fantastic idea. Those guys were both cool guys, um, good guys too, from what I remember. I think it would have been would have been cool, and it would have worked. It would have worked because they would have been like, you know, we were the first gay duo on TV, and yeah, and we'll set up right there. Uh, <laughs> hey, we never said we never said we were gay. You never said it though, you know. And I don't think they did either because they ended up being brothers or something like that, whatever it was. But that's what made it so fun, right? Because we weren't making fun of any anybody. We respected what we were doing. We respected, you know what it was about um but we were like bros right it was like we were like these bros just having fun absolutely and and you know what they 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 got taken off tv doing that gimmick because of uh apparent complaints from people but they said to me that the gay community actually loved what they were doing and was so glad that they were being represented on television so it's it's a strange thing, isn't it? That there's complaints, but at the same time, actually, the gay community are happy to see characters, you know, portraying. Absolutely, and yeah. you know, they're probably right. when when they said that, I believe they were completely right because I remember the same thing with the the Billy and Chuck characters. Um, I remember being on the Today Show. I gosh, I wish I could see that again. We're on the Today Show, and I remember. Katie Couric telling us beforehand, she was like, hey, you guys know, you guys are getting a lot of, a lot of gifts are being sent to the studios from the gay and lesbian groups who, wow. who, who, who liked us and enjoyed what we were doing. Um, you know, obviously at the end of it, the writers, they switch up the angle and I, I get all that. But until that point, I thought they were very happy with us because in a way we were representing them, right? In a way. Yeah. Exactly. And um, especially when you start talking about the, the same-sex marriage and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I was happy for them that uh, we, could, we, could, we could play that part. And um, now it's normal, right? That's it. Yeah. And uh, let's, let's talk about the, 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 the ceremony here. Uh, uh, Bischoff in makeup as a celebrant. His story of that day himself is incredible, how he was in his uh, outfit and makeup all day and no one backstage actually knew it was him. This is one of the best segments of all time as far as I'm concerned. Um, obviously, Billy and Chuck decide not to go through with this because it's supposed to be a publicity stunt. Uh, and I would say the Godfather, that part of the segment, man, Godfather killed it. He killed it. That was such a great moment in the segment. But uh, obviously, um, you know, it all breaks down and, and three minute warning uh, attack you both. And uh, it gets, you know, all thrown out. But uh, from, from your perspective, you know, the whole time it's so funny because you, you keep checking out Billy's ass and it's just. <laughs> 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 well, what's your fondest moment or memories of, of this segment? <laughs> oh man. I just remember just it, it being so much fun. Cause, um, Cause think about it. I mean, this is gonna sound weird, but it's kind of fun to play those parts. I don't know for whatever reason, it is fun to play those parts, right? And we were just like 
acting like complete goofballs playing these parts. And I just remember trying not to laugh. When, you know what I mean? I remember like <laughs> yeah. going, I'm like, oh man, this is great. But I, I you know, I, I can't be laughing. So um, yeah, especially when the Godfather came down, right? It was like, it was the dynamic of all these different characters getting involved in the same idea with different, with different perspectives. It made for great television. And then I want to say we had the Weather Girls, the, those two um, black girls, awesome singers. They sang It's Raining Men, I think. That was like the <laughs> song for it. And I'm going like, oh, my gosh, this is nuts. This is nuts. But, um, yeah, I just remember it being uh, very – I was entertained. Do you know what I mean? Like, I was entertained. I was inside of it watching all this going, going on. I'm going, oh, this is, this is fantastic. <laughs> Um, I love uh, when Godfather was, uh, he comes out and he's talking about how, you know, Billy was quite the, the ladies' man with his hose back in the day. And and Chuck, what happened, Chuck? You know, you were one of the greatest skirt chasers of all time, although uh, uh, you liked the hefty girls or something like that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm like, oh, man, I didn't know he was going to say that. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, everything he said, I had no idea he was going to say it. So I was I was being entertained, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And caught off guard. <laughs> and uh, I think there was a moment where Billy said to Rico, um, uh, he was saying, like, I'm not gay, I'm not gay, and I've got nothing wrong, there's nothing wrong with gay people, but if I were gay, I would marry Chuck or something like yeah. that. And that's when I see you burst into laughter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you're in character or not, but uh, I watched it earlier. I think I we like, both man. felt the same way. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> it was funny. It was fantastic. It was and and I was, you know, hook, line, and sinker. I had no idea that that was Eric Bischoff until he pulled off the makeup. That was just like an amazing moment in television history as, as far as I'm concerned. Champagne television. Uh, I agree with 100%. Wasn't that amazing, man? I mean, it was. It he, was. I don't, I, want, I have to ask Billy, I have to ask Billy about this, but I don't remember if we knew until the very, very last minute. You know what I mean? Like right before we went out there, I maybe or maybe not. I don't remember, but I just remember how well it was done, and he worked everybody. Eric, you know, Eric is a um, he's a great talent. Number one, and he's got a great mind for the business, so he he had that down. Uh, it's fantastic. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Even with the shaking hand and everything, God, yeah, just like great. <laughs> very, the 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 little details really made it. Yeah, uh, <laughs> you don't see that anymore too often. No, you don't. Um, and this leads to a match between Three Minute Warning and Billy and Chuck at Unforgiven. I remember seeing you guys, uh, you invaded Raw to get back at them. And I think you just you both just topless with just uh, some jeans on. And I was like, man, they look like badasses now. Like, let's see this new era of the Billy and Chuck tag team. But uh, yeah. I believe Billy gets injured soon after this and the team yeah. quietly breaks up. Um, yeah. Did you, what were the discussions like with that? You know, were you hopeful that when he came back, you'd get the team back together? Or was it just like, well, now, you know, it's probably just not going to work out that way. What happened there? You know, honestly, we really weren't told anything. That's one thing about the business. A lot of times you don't learn anything until the last minute, if at all. Um, so we really weren't told much. 
basically Billy was out on an injury. And I, I want to see, you have to ask him. I don't want to speak on it because I'm not sure, but I want to say he may have been going through contract negotiations also. Okay. Um, I'm not sure how fast he wanted to come back. I don't know. You'd have to ask him. I might be way off, but this is what I kind of remember. Um, but yeah, he had a serious shoulder injury. I remember when it happened, we were wrestling uh, the Guerreros in Canada. But um, yeah, I didn't know. I didn't know what was going to happen next. And in the back of my mind, I was going, oh man, this, this may be it, which was unfortunate, but it's part of this business, right? It's part of this. You, if someone gets hurt, I mean, that, that's it. If, if you're hurt, you're pretty much worthless to the company. That's you know? it, yeah. Uh, and I know that you you worked a bit of singles after this. Uh, then you get put in the FBI. And I when I, I was watching some stuff earlier, man, you you, sh- you shown your range here. You were doing Billy and Chuck, and now all of a sudden you're a paisan with Nunzio and Johnny the Bull and you got that big cigar and <laughs> you really played your parts very well there. And I know Paul Heyman, um, you know, he was running uh, SmackDown at the time and it always seemed like the FBI were doing something. Like every, anything that they would do, it always affected other people and what yeah. they were doing in their angles. I really loved yeah. this. Um, how did you enjoy working with uh, both of the guys and uh, what are your fondest memories of both of them well first of all um i i I enjoyed it it was incredible so i enjoyed working with billy gunn so much i mean it couldn't get any better than that and then the same thing with johnny and nuns two uh two fantastic guys outside the business and inside the business great guys um great friends and uh just we again we were having fun again i mean we had fun um you know, so the so the FBI, I I understand that that was a creation by Paul when ECW was around. I get it, and they had their version, which was fantastic. Those guys were all fantastic, talented guys. Uh, we had something a little different, but I thought it was special, and um, it was nice because we had some creative input, um, and obviously Paul was a big help. But um, I grew up in New England, in Rhode Island, and in, you know it's very there's a ton of Italian Americans there. So yeah. these little innuendos and these little things that we do <laughs> are very natural to me because I've seen it growing up my whole life. Right. Yeah. I didn't move to California until I was 20 years old for the Navy. So up until that point, I mean, I knew all the, I, I knew those characters. I knew guys like that. I knew bookies. I knew guys that were, you <laughs> know, legitimate gangsters. I knew, I knew all those guys. I knew guys who were, you know, hustlers, street hustlers and, you know, I knew all that stuff. I knew guys who were selling stuff out of their trunks. So it was very easy to relate to all that. I I never got involved in anything like that, but it was easy to relate because I had seen it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And to to take it and to make it almost comical was so much fun. It was so much fun. (laughs) It was brilliant. I watched a segment where uh, Nunzio's, you know, you guys walking up to the Antigua, take her, we need to have a sit down, you know? Yeah, no, I mean, it's like, you know, I'm the Sopranos is one of my favorite TV shows of all time. So it's kind of like Sopranos brought to life in WWE, which I love. (laughs) Yeah, I know that there you go. I agree 100%. I looked at pop culture. I thought about Sopranos and I thought all that just blended so great with all that. It was 
and that's basically what we thought it was. And we, we lived it up. We lived it up and had a great time. Absolutely. And you get to work with The Undertaker a little bit. Tell me about that. Yeah. This is a, probably the greatest of all time right there. Yeah, yeah. So obviously Undertaker, uh, living legend, uh, one of the greatest of all times for sure. Um, yeah, it was fantastic. We had some good matches, I, I felt. I thought we worked well together. Um, and yeah, you know, again, like I said before, here I am, still not that deep into my career, six, seven years at that point, maybe. I don't mm-hmm. know. And I'm working with Undertaker in big matches, him and Brock Lesnar and stuff like that. So, yeah, yeah and Eddie, Eddie Guerrero, um, you know, guys like that. Um, yeah, it was, it was fantastic. And, and, and he was easy to work with um, at the time. He was easy to work with us. And, I, you know, we got along well with him, all of us. Uh, it was it was a lot of fun, man. Can't <laughs> That's cool, man. And uh, one thing that I, this is a, probably around the time, I, I guess, soon after this, I kind of I kind of stopped watching a lot of uh, WW at the time because uh, uh, maybe it's about 2004, 2005 where I start to uh, lose a bit of interest. Uh, yeah. But um, I don't actually know how to pinpoint when that group was disbanded. We were, was this another thing where you just found out that they were going to break it up? Why do they uh, break up uh, such a great little faction like that? Just another one of those things. I'll never know. I'll never know. I heard um, we were, you know, you hear. I, I heard there was some politics involved with with maybe a producer backstage. Whether or not it's true, I don't know. Um, I'll be honest with you, it's not even worth mentioning because I don't, I don't really know if it's the truth. Um, but you, you never know. So, you know, here's the thing in the wrestling business. And I know, you know, this one or two persons opinion of you can dictate your career. Mm -hmm. Right. So you never know why things like that happen. The, The carriages were over. We could work with anybody. We all knew how to work. We worked, with big guys, small guys, we all knew how to bump. We could, you know, we 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 had it down, and, and the characters were solid. I I believed. Um, so you never know, right? Yeah, one of those things as usual. Uh, yeah. Soon after, you get a changing gimmick. Um, so I never saw this at the time, but I did a little bit of uh, looking back on on YouTube today. Uh, it's like a gimmick, like you're a mix, like with an auto mechanic and a greaser. Uh, and and you get released at some point during this gimmicks run in 2004. What was this idea, uh, and where did that come about? So that was so at the time I wasn't getting any input from anybody. Nothing. I would just show up, and they put me in matches. Um, that being said, I was trying to get to that point with the motorcycle, kind of like yeah. I did later. Yeah, that's where I was trying to head in my own mind. So I was actually trying to get that going on my own. I just decided to change my outfit. I was thinking about pop culture at the time. The reality shows and the car shows and all that stuff was starting to really get some momentum. The Jesse James uh, shows and the Orange County Choppers, all that stuff was just starting to come around. It was just starting to come around the Chip Foo stuff. And I was into all that stuff i had been building cars and motorcycles my whole life as a you know since i was a kid 14 years old so i was trying to kind of like capture pop culture at the time 
in, in that area of it. And they didn't, uh, unfortunately, WWE didn't get it, you know. Um, of course. So they, you know, unfortunately, like a lot of times they didn't really get what pop culture was. No. If that makes sense. No. Well, I mean, yeah. Um, I don't think so, um, much as TV, so... <laughs> Right. So yeah, he didn't, he didn't get it. And, um, so that didn't work obviously. And, um, and then, yeah, I want to say I, my last match might've been against Rosie and, um, he's another guy who passed away. You know, so many guys we've lost. Yeah. Right? yeah. Um, we've talked just so funny that we, that in this conversation today, um, you know, Sean O'Hare, right. Just things I've yeah. been involved with, um, both of, uh, you know, three minute warning, both guys gone. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, so I do remember. I, one thing I do remember, which was funny, I just want—I I want to give you a little insight on the business. And I'm not knocking the business. Uh, I enjoy all my time in the business; it was fantastic. But just so you can kind of see how things go sometimes. So uh, Jamal or Eki, we called him Eki, but um, Umaga, right? Yeah, we we knew him as Eki. Or um, he told me because you know he was friends with uh, Rosie prior to that match. He told me, hey, look, I heard they're going to release you. Um, I had no idea. But they had told Rosie and told Eki or Umaga, but they didn't tell me. <laughs> if that makes any sense. So uh, I knew that going out there before the match. Oh, my gosh. But um, but anyway, just, it's just funny how the industry works, right? Yeah. It's a, it's a great, man, it's a great life experience, though, because you learn a lot. Your social IQ goes through the roof. Um, you really learn how to navigate your way through life. If you can navigate your way through the wrestling business, you can navigate your way through life. <laughs> Absolutely. So I, I guess you, you find out you're, you're getting released. Uh, I don't know, soon after this, you go to all Japan. You wrestle in Italy with Johnny the Bull. And the first thing I thought was the Italian girls must have loved you, too. <laughs> I can imagine. I can imagine that they would have gone wild for you too. How was that experience with him after you both had left the company? It was awesome. Actually, you know, it's so funny because we we um we come from a down point, right, of WWE, and all of a sudden, boom, we go to Japan, and it's like they're like, "Wow, you guys are good." You know what I mean? Yeah. And we we would just have a great time over there. That could have went on forever. The only thing that was tough for us was it just. It was the travel and the schedule was tough for us. You know what I mean? But uh, that could have went on forever. And then, um, yeah, Italy was fantastic. Obviously, the FBI gimmick. Yeah. Um, myself, myself being Italian, Italian-American, going over there it was just fantastic. They welcomed us with open arms. That was fantastic. And then we actually started going to uh, Mexico City also. And that's how that all, uh, that's how that all happened with uh, – Mark Jindrak ended up becoming uh, oh, Marco Corleone. Yeah. Yeah, because what happened was I ended up, uh, they called me, asked me if I wanted to come back to WWE. So um, I ended up coming back. And so Johnny needed a partner. And he asked Mark to come down. And they turned Mark into an Italian. And then Mark had a long run down there. Yeah, I think he was uh, one of the first Americans to become uh, the CMLL heavyweight champion. He uh, yeah. made a hell of a name for himself down there. Absolutely. Um, so, 
So you do go back yeah. to WWE. Uh, who made the call to you? And, uh, you know, out of the gate, you, you get the biker gimmick you always wanted. Um, tell me a little bit about that. So I don't remember who I spoke with. <clears throat> I don't know if it was Taker or Rey Mysterio or were they on the phone together talking to me? Um, and then I got, I might've got a call back from Johnny Ace and I ended up going down to, I want to say Birmingham. I think I had been, I was in Mexico city. I had some obligations. And then I flew from Mexico city to Birmingham, Alabama. And I wrestled Rob Van Dam in wow. a dark match in Birmingham. Right. I think that's, I, I can't believe I can remember that, but I think that's what happened. <laughs> um, so I, I do that match. They're, they're all stoked to have me back. And then, uh, I ended up signing a deal for two years. That was 06. I signed a two-year deal, and then they sat me at home. <laughs> right. Sat me at home and, and paid me very well for a year before they brought me and started. Uh, we started doing the vignettes uh, for the motorcycle stuff, which was my idea after speaking with Vince. Right. It drives me crazy that... They, this is people's jobs in creative to come up with something for somebody and bring them onto TV. Yeah. Look, I know the, the people, a lot of people bag out Vince Russo, but like as soon as they would tell him, hey, we've got this guy, he'll think of something and he put him on the show a few weeks later. I don't understand this whole thing of having people sit at home doing nothing, collecting a check. It just blows my mind. But anyway. Yeah. I just wanted to it's, put that it, out. It, it, trust me, it blew my mind too. So I just stayed in shape. I want to say I was, uh, what I would do, to, me and Ray Mysterio would go down to TJ and wrestle in TJ just to just to have matches and stuff. Um, and that was really it. Um, and then um, I want to say they put me on the road. I had been building bikes on the side like I had always done. And I think I had a center, I had like a magazine, motorcycle magazine where one of my bikes was on the cover or I was on the cover, I don't remember, but I showed Vince and I said, hey, like, this is kind of what I want to do. And again, going back to that pop culture thing, that was what was going on. Yeah. That Discovery Channel stuff, all that stuff was hot. And Vince said, let's do it. And um, we started doing it. And then, um, you know, obviously the only issue is, um, Although Vince might be on board, a lot of times that word's not getting around to other producers and other writers and stuff. And, you know, it eventually started to fizzle out. Right. May that be partly my fault? Maybe. But uh, I think when you got, we got to the point where we started, they had me with uh, McCool and I was starting to be this abusive psycho boyfriend. That's when it got distasteful to me. Oh, right. Uh, That's what happened. Okay. And I was like, ah, but, you know, I continue to do it because that's what they were paying me for as a character. But, um, yeah. It should have been more um, of a fun loving kind of, he's a, you know, biker guy. He's got the hot chick on the back of the bike, you know, which, who complain about having Michelle McCall on the back of their bike. Right. Your taker does that quite right. often. <laughs> um, so, you know, like I thought, you know, and you think of the merchandise, you think of the the, the figurine with the, the motorcycle, kids are going to love that stuff. Yeah. All you need is the company to get behind it. And I know yeah. for most of the run with this character, you feud with Jamie Noble. Um, yeah. How did you feel working with him? Because like, 
you know, throughout your time in the company, you're always in a team or you're in a stable. Now you're finally like the singles guy. This is actually kind of, if if I'm correct, possibly your first singles angle against somebody right. else. And it's right at the tail end of your career there. So this yeah. is important in, in the career of Chuck Palumbo. So how did you enjoy working and feuding with Jamie? Yeah, it was it was okay. I mean, I wasn't crazy about it, to be honest with you. Only because, and this is not anything personal against him. Um, it was it was okay working with him, but I would I felt I needed someone to help bring me up. So I was hoping that they would put me against another character that was very strong. I felt that at that point, that's what I needed was a stronger character to help elevate what I was trying to do. Right. If that makes sense. Yeah. You know, but they, they, they didn't do it. So, and you, like I said, you never know why. So, um, but I was happy to be doing the, the gimmick. Um, when we first started, I was, you know, using the motorcycles and, and, and enjoying it, having fun. Um, but, um, yeah, they never really, uh, I was hoping they, you know, kind of, start to intertwine me with some of the some of the top guys yeah but, you know you never know you never know why grateful uh, grateful to have had the run absolutely and i thought the matches that you two had were pretty good and and i yeah. kind of i uh, used to because uh, this is like again during a period of time where i'd watch every now and then uh and i noticed that you looked quite a lot like slash uh from yes. guns and roses uh which is why i'm wearing this shirt tonight it was either between this or the butter bing shirt i got uh in my that's awesome uh, my room <laughs> but uh okay what led to you leaving the wwe this time because i'm pretty sure i saw an interview with you and vince russo a little while back a few years ago where you told a story about i think you you'd had an injury and as you were coming out of what, can you please just tell that story? You, you were coming out of uh, getting checked up on by the doctor or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Huh, and again, I'm not, uh, I, I don't mind telling the story. It's I, I like to, the people to kind of know what happens in the business and I'm, but I'm not, I'm not bagging on my time in the business because I had a fantastic time. Of course. Um, but these are some of the things you have to deal with. Yeah. So I needed to have shoulder surgery. Okay. So I, I um, they weren't using me that much at the time. So um, we agreed that I'd go in and have it have it fixed. Right. So I I'm, I'm seeing my surgeon in San Diego. I have the surgery. Now I'm out of surgery and I'm rehabbing on a regular basis. Now. If you know about shoulder surgeries and rotator cuff surgeries, it takes a while um, to come back 100%. Right. So I'd only been rehabbing it for uh, a few weeks. And so one day I'm at rehab and we're doing the, uh, doing the work on the shoulder. And I come outside, just finished. I leave the building and my phone rings and it's Johnny Ace. No, I'm sorry. It's not Johnny Ace. My mistake. It's uh, the redheaded kid, Chris something. He was like a doctor or something. Chris Kamen? Maybe. I don't remember his last name. He's is a he doctor. still with them? Uh, Chris Amen, maybe. Chris. Okay, maybe. I'm not sure if he's with them or not. I just remember he had red hair and he's a doctor. But anyway. Yeah, Chris Amen. I, yeah. 
I, he calls me and he tells me that this is kind of, it was kind of weird. He calls me and he says, Hey, how's your shoulder going? I said, it's going good. I said, I just, matter of fact, I just got a rehab, just stepped out. And he said, uh, Oh, well, you know, um, they want to get you back on the road. And I go, well, I'm still rehabbing my shoulder. I'm not ready to wrestle yet. You know, um, it takes a minute for it to heal, you know? And, uh, he goes, well, you, you know, they just want to get you back out there. You don't necessarily have to wrestle. You might be ringside, blah, blah, blah. You know what I'm, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And I go, oh, okay. And I'm naive at the time. And I'm just so excited to be able to get back on the road and, and just be out there with the guys. He says, well, listen, if you can go back, he goes, if you can get your release from the doctor, if you can get your doctor to sign off and release you, saying you're ready to go, then we can get you back out on the road. Now, you got to remember, for people who don't understand this, if you're under a doctor's care, you cannot be released from your contract. Mm -hmm. At the time, I'm under a doctor's care. So again, he's telling me, yeah, if you go back inside, if you go back and get your release, uh, from your doctor, we can get you back on the road. So I said, okay, great. I should have known I was, I was in the business long enough that I should have known better. But again, I was a little bit naive and I was eager to go out and help and get back there. So I walk, I turn around and before I get to my car, I walk back in, I go to my doctor. I said, he goes, Hey, what, 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 are, you, what are you doing back? I said, well, you know, I just spoke to the guys, uh, at WWE and they want me to come back on the road and I was wondering if you could release me and he's like what are you talking about he goes you're not ready to wrestle man I said no no I'm not going to be wrestling I'm just going to be uh, you know on the sidelines or maybe you know uh, ringside or whatever it is uh, doing some work some vignettes backstage whatever it is and um, he goes uh, you know I don't know I, I, I don't recommend it and I said, well, doc, I'd really like to go. You know, I really appreciate it if you could sign my release. So he signs, release me. I go outside. I get my truck. That's it. I'm driving home. I remember I have to make a stop at my buddy's engine shop because I was going to pick up one of my motors for this bike I was building. So I go in my buddy's shop. I walk out of the shop. My phone rings again. This time it's Johnny Ace. All of a sudden, it clicked. Uh, it clicked right there. He answered the phone. I started giggling. I started laughing because <laughs> I knew what was coming. Shit. So I start laughing. He starts laughing a little bit. He goes, hey, Chuck. Hey, man, I got some news, bad news for you because we're going to have to let you go. I said, Johnny, you got, I, said, I said, congratulations, you got me. I said, you got me. I said, just, just promise me you're going to pay me my 90 days you know, my, uh, my, 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 my severance, my 90 day severance. Oh yeah. 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 That's how it went. That's how they did it. That's how they did it. And, uh, again, I hold no grudges. It was a life experience and a learning experience for me, but that tells you how that business is, you know? Right. I remember when I heard this story, I was like, that is outrageous. And if you're not going to hold the grudge, Chuck, I will. Okay. Uh, you're going to okay. take the high road. I'm going to take the low road, okay? 
Uh, I'm Johnny Ace, and on, on that day with uh, Chuck, I was a real dick bag. That's what I'm going to say. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> it's unfortunate um, that it's unfortunate that people, you know, I, I guess that's someone's job. That's what you do. But uh, I just always believed in um, just being honest with people and um, acting in good faith, right? Of course. So it's absolutely. Like, and I'm not even, I'm not a religious person or anything like that. But just come on. Uh, so anyway, that's part of the business. That's why, you know, I really have to appreciate, I don't want to go on a tangent, but these guys who continue to wrestle and all the guys who've ever wrestled, you have to really appreciate them because they're the hardest workers in the world and they will wrestle no matter what for, no matter what. I mean, these guys would be willing, if they told them, Hey, you know, some guys, we're going to have to stop paying you for a couple of weeks, but we really like to keep you aboard. All these guys would do it. That's the kind of guys they'll show up anywhere injured or not and do anything you ask them, sacrifice their bodies. And, you know, for an owner like Vince McMahon or a company to have people like that, that are willing to do that is amazing because you know, in the corporate world and stuff like that, I mean, if someone looks at you the wrong way or you don't address someone by the proper term or the, you know, there's a lawsuit or there's, you know, you're out on sick leave or you're out on, uh, you know, so yeah. to get guys, and girls who are willing to do what they do with no benefits yeah. and no guarantees because none of these contracts are guarantees. So no benefits, no guarantees, no health insurance, none of this. It's like, it's amazing. So I commend, I commend them all the talents for what they do. Absolutely. 100% bro. You're on the, you're on the button there. Um, we've only got a couple of questions left, Chuck. Uh, sure. I've, I've read somewhere that uh, there was an opportunity to possibly go to TNA. Uh, why did you never sign with them? Yeah, you know, I don't know how that, I don't know if that's 100% correct. Um, someone else asked me about that. I believe Johnny Stamboli was working on that for us. He was talking okay. with Terry Taylor. I think that's how it started. And I think that was kind of in the works. But um, honestly, I just didn't get a good feeling from management over there. Um, yeah, I didn't get a good feeling about uh, working there. And I decided, uh, I, I, I don't know if I told, asked Johnny that or told him I wasn't interested or um, I just don't remember anything coming of it. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, I know you, you still wrestle a little bit after your time in WWE. Uh, what led you to making the decision to retire and to no longer perform in the wrestling business? Uh, you know, honestly, so I started to realize that if you made the same effort that you in life that you did in the wrestling business, that you're going to be successful no matter what you do. Um, and once I realized that I could apply everything I learned in the wrestling business to, to other things in life, it was a no-brainer. You know, it was really just a no-brainer. So, um, you know, the one the one thing about the wrestling business is you you learn so much about how to market yourself, how to communicate with other people, uh, how to break down barriers between races, um, how to get along with just about anybody, how to blend in with just about anybody if you have to. Um, so, all these things you learn are so valuable in the real world. Um, and I, I realized that it clicked and I said, Oh no, I said, what am I doing? I said, 
why would you want to continue to fight to be in a business that doesn't necessarily want to fight to have you there? Mm. Do you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So uh, once I realized that, I said, oh, man, you know, I'm going to I'm going to go ahead and uh, I'm still young. Let me go ahead and apply my efforts in other places. And I'm so glad I did. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, I'm going to get to the that point where I'm going to get you to plug everything that you've done since you uh, had left the WWE. Um, but one story I wanted to ask you about, I, I'd seen somewhere that uh, in 2016, there was a car accident and there was a, a lady who was in this car accident. And I wanted to bring this up because when I first saw you, you know, you look like Tarzan, you look like a superhero. This is a superhero moment right here where apparently you, you lifted up the car and you also got her out of the car. You lifted her up out of the car. You saved a woman from this car wreck. Please, can you tell me that story? I'd love to hear it. You know, honestly, it was, a, it, was, it was a rural road. I live in a rural area. So it's a rural road. I'm driving down the road. I get around this corner, which is kind of a dangerous corner. And I see a car flipped on its side. And that's basically uh -huh. it. And I saw like, cause you know, it was like, I don't know where I was going it was going to my shop or something, but it was, it was, um, it was cars just passing and not stopping, you know, I'm going. So I pull over and I basically, I looked in the car, uh, and there was a girl in there and she was kind of, I think her arm was kind of pinned under the one side of the car, the side of it. Oh shit. So I didn't, it's, it's not like I picked up the car, you know what I mean? But I was able to, <laughs> I, I was able to get her, get her arm free. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and then I was able to climb in the passenger door because the car was on its side, so one door obviously can't open. And I, I the only thing I remember is trying to get in the passenger side. When the car's on its side, those damn doors are heavy. You know what I mean? Right. Like, yeah. Like, so, but anyway, she was in there, and I, the only, only thing I remember was she was trying to get her cell phone. I'm like, let's just get you out of the car. I want to get my phone. I was like, oh, God. Anyway, we got her phone, we got her, and we got her out of the car. And then I took off as fast as I could because, you know, I didn't want media showing up or, you know, whatever. So I took off. That was it. <laughs> Do you want the media showing up and being like, the, the hero that is one Chuck Palumbo right uh, now? <laughs> not, that they would, not that they would have known that I was a wrestler or anything like that, but you know how it goes. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, okay, Chuck, before we get to Five Second Frenzy, I want you to have the floor right now to tell everyone out there your endeavors in your post-wrestling career. You've done a few TV shows and such, yeah. and please plug everything that you're doing today. Yeah, so um, some people may or may not know, but so I was always into cars and motorcycles, so I got into that business and started doing a lot of car and motorcycle building uh, towards the end of my wrestling career, and that's kind of why I started the bike thing, and it kind of led into that. So continued like I am now in the shop today, right? Doing the uh, building and all that stuff. Um, Discovery Channel reached out to me a few years after I got out of wrestling and um, said, hey, you know, we think you got this boombastic personality. We'd like to come meet you. We know you're into bikes and cars. And they came to meet me and said, wow, we didn't know you actually build these yourself. And uh, they said, we have some ideas and we'd like to work with you. And that's how that came about. So I did a show called uh, Lords of the Car Hordes. And then we did another season called Rusted Development. We kind of renamed it. 
Um, and it was the, the great thing about that show was that it was a worldwide show. So it was shown in over, I can't remember how many countries, but it was worldwide. So they would actually, you know, change the language for all the different countries. Wow. So, which, which was fantastic. So I know it, uh, you can still watch it, I think on like Amazon prime and still runs in different countries and stuff like that. But anyway, excellent opportunity, had a great time. Um, and let's see, continued with the bikes and cars. And then, um, just recently I, um, decided, you know something, people are always asking me what I'm up to and what I'm doing. Uh, let me do a little YouTube show. It's a little mom and pop YouTube show and kind of show people what I do. Yeah. Cause I, I, I dabble in real estate. Um, I build houses. Um, I build, you know, I, I got the shop. I do the car motorcycle stuff. I work in the trades a lot. I grew up in the trades, uh, tons of friends were in the trades. I'm basically a blue collar guy. That's what I like to do. I like to put I like, to, like when I get up in the morning, I put work boots on. That's what I do. You know what I mean? I go to work. Um, so anyway, I wanted to kind of show people what I've been up to and the timing at, at the time I was, uh, I had purchased this house that was built in 1924. Um, and I, uh, remodeled it and then I built a shop, this shop right here. We actually built this shop on the property and, um, now we're getting ready to outfit this shop and we're going to start um, building cars and motorcycles and, and anything in this shop. So that show is called Chuck of all trades and it's on YouTube. It's a small time show right now. It's just, um, we're doing like video blog type stuff right now. Uh, eventually when we get this shop turnkey, um, we'll set up, you know, cameras and have good audio and get down to some real good uh, car motorcycle building. So yeah. Um, so that's it really. Uh, I'm a simple guy, man. Um, I like to roll my sleeves up and fix things, build things, create things. I love creating things. And all the guys I've ever hung out with are the same way. So that's what we do. We'll, We'll build stuff. Uh, by the end of the day, we'll crack the core, you know, crack the core's light, and we'll kind of look <laughs> at what we did and, and admire it. You know what I mean? Yeah, fantastic. And, and that's just that's the kind of guy I've always been. And um, yeah, that's it. Um, I had a band called Three Spoke Wheel. Unfortunately, the lead singer he moved to Hawaii, I think. So um, we don't have a full band. It's just me and another guitarist. So we do a bit of jamming here and there, and hopefully, I'll get a band back together um, soon once I find time for that. Right, that's such a shame, bro, because I actually uh, am a lead singer. My band broke up in, in October. Man, if I lived over there, I'd, I'd slot right in, I think. Well, yeah, I think you would, man. You know, but maybe in the meantime, we can do that stuff like all the big bands were doing during COVID, how they were like, they, were, they had like, you know, five faces on one screen and they were all playing their instrument. Like, we should do that. <laughs> We could totally do that, bro. It'll be an we'll honor. Send you, we'll, send you, we'll send you a set list, man. <laughs> Sounds good, bro. <laughs> but all of that stuff that you've just mentioned, everyone, if you're looking right down there here on YouTube, right in the in the description, you can find the links to everything that Chuck has just mentioned. And please check it out. Uh, so, Chuck, we're coming to the end of the interview here, and we have the segment Five Second Frenzy. Uh, you have five seconds to answer each question. Even if you break the five-second rule, it's okay. I've had some some wrestlers on the show, obviously, and sometimes wrestlers take longer than five seconds to answer things, so All it's right. okay. Uh, first one here, Chuck Palumbo. Who was your favorite wrestler? Oh, man. That's a tough one. Uh, I think in his prime... Um, Probably Scott Hall in his prime. 
Excellent, bro. If, Excellent. And then, uh, if not, secondly would be uh, Kurt Hennig. Another fantastic choice. Uh, they're definitely both in my top five. Uh, favorite opponent that you had over the years? Probably Undertaker. Nice. Uh, favorite match that you ever had? I know that's a tough one. I don't even, you know, I really don't have one, but I do remember having a pretty stiff match with Brock Lesnar, which <laughs> I, I enjoyed. <laughs> which I enjoyed. You know, it's funny. The first question about favorite wrestlers, I think somebody asked me that in the past, and I might have said Macho Man Randy Savage. I think looking at it from a, a fan standpoint, it would have been Macho Man. Right. But yeah. then looking at it from guys that I knew that was still in the business, that's where I came up with the other answers. Absolutely. I, I'll have to send you a video of when I used to wrestle and you can see my right hand because I copied Scott Hall as well. You got a good one? I got a good one, bro. I got that, I got that clap on the leg oh, and you that, don't notice it because everyone's looking at this, this fantastic right hand that's coming it. through. That's it. <laughs> awesome. Awesome, bro. Uh, getting away from wrestling finally. What is your favorite book? Oh gosh, I like reading like um, bios and stuff. Like um, I really enjoyed uh, Keith Richards' bio. Um, I did. I did read a book recently though called uh, "Gang Leader for a Day." Um, it was by. Uh, it was written by an Indian gentleman. I can't remember his name. It was fantastic. I'm into different things like that. I don't know. I'm all over the place. I'm a big autobiography guy, and if I could. Uh recommend anything d snyder's uh book uh d snyder from twisted sister fantastic autobiography uh billy idols also uh really i, I love that one as well some crazy stories I'll, I'll check them out for sure yeah excellent Absolutely. excellent uh favorite tv show sopranos excellent choice uh <laughs> i i feel like we have a lot in common here uh, absolutely <laughs> favorite film Film? Uh, that's a tough one. Many, but um, it would be a toss-up between Training Day and Goodfellas. Nice, nice. Why did, I, I had the, word, the name Goodfellas in my head as I asked it, and you said it. We're vibing here. Maybe I can become the lead singer. Of <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Speaking of music, bro, favorite musical artist. I know you're a rock guy. Yeah. Oh, man. So, yeah. Artists, singular, maybe Joe Walsh. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, you know, I love the, the original Guns N' Roses. I'm a big ZZ Top fan. Um, I'm a big Eagles fan. Um, I mean, I love all classic rock from like mid-60s on up. Um, Cream and Boston. And, yeah, um, dude, yeah, yeah. I love all I love all that classic rock. I even love the blues stuff. Like I, I saw before BB King died, I probably saw him like five times. Buddy wow. guy. That's lucky. Uh, and then I even like stuff like, you know, like Crosby Stills Nash and Young. Uh, I like you know, I like all that stuff from that era. Anything from like nineteen from like eighty seven when, when Appetite for Destruction came out, anything from then and then back. Good call, bro. Fantastic. Love it. That's Zeppelin. All. Zeppelin's great. That's you know, it. All, that's all like, that's all my DC. Yeah, bro. DC. <laughs> I mean, all those bands. Yeah. We could probably do a whole other interview just talking about music, I think. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I'm a big I'm big music buff. Anytime you want, man. 
Excellent, bro. Uh, getting away from the arts, favorite food? Um, only because I'm an Italian. I'm going to go Italian first. I say Italian first, but but Southern California, Mexican is a close second. Mm, very good. Uh, favorite place to eat on the road? Cracker Barrel. It's always a popular answer, along with Denny's. Yeah. On the road, uh, on the road, on the road, yeah. On the road, yes. Uh, along with Denny's and, of course, uh, um, Waffle uh, House. Waffle House, of course, yeah. <laughs> uh, third last one, favorite alcoholic beverage. I'm a Coors Light guy, man. Very nice. I love I'm, myself. I'm, 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 not, I'm not a big heavy drinker or anything like that, so if I'm going to have a couple beers, it's going to be Coors Light. Although... Uh, my buddy is a, a big uh, tequila and mezcal buff. Uh, Cantina Mayuel, San Diego. If you ever go to San Diego, Cantina Mayuel in North Park, Adams and 30th. Sounds good. Oops, I've lost him <laughs> right at the end. <laughs> no, with this close. That's hilarious. That's fucking hilarious, man. <clears throat> so I'm sorry, Jack. Fuck, we had a good run there, though, didn't we? We had a good run. Oh, man, we were so close. We've got, I got two more for five-second frenzy, then my big spiel, and then we clear. Fuck, man, i got to piss like a racehorse too. We should, like, do, like, a compilation, Jack, of me talking when someone's dropped out or something like that. I'm sure there's been some funny moments. I think the Maria one was the best one where I was like, I'm fucking drunk, bro. Fuck. I'm not drunk, really. I'm just more so tired because it's fucking nearly 2 a.m. Shit. We'll get Chuck back in and we'll finish this off as I need just yeah, five minutes to go. <laughs> Fuck. You know why I kind of felt like uh, Chuck Palumbo's internet connection was very disrespectful to Chuck. Uh, feel like uh, I kind of feel like Chuck's uh, internet internet connection was like screwing him, like uh, like I was screwed in Montreal. Uh, you know when uh, Sean and uh, Vince uh, came up with that plot to screw me over and uh, take the belt from me, and uh, you know I kind of feel like they figuratively, you know, put a gun to my head. And uh, blew the Hitman character's brains out all over the mat. So fucking dramatic, Brett. Come on, man. Take it easy. No, nah, you know, he's right. It's, that was fucked. What happened to him? Oh, oh, oh. Come on, Chucky boy. Good luck, Chuck. popped up then I'm saying things now 
How many times can I say I'm sorry? Doesn't that run true, Jack? Doesn't that run fucking true? You prick. You could have been here with me on this. Fucking frustrated the whole time. Tired because it's nearly 2 a.m. I thought I was only going to have an hour with him, but it seemed like he was keen to keep going. So, fuck yeah, right. Come on, Chuck Deluxe. I gotta ask him about the Chuck Deluxe, bro. Shit. Chuck, what is the Chuck Deluxe? Ah, it's too late now. We're at five second frenzy. Too fucking late. I'm sure he's not far off. Imagine that was the screenshot for the for the thumbnail. Chuck just being like with his sunglasses on and me being like Don't do that. Maybe do a parody of it. Maybe do that scare me. And then do the real one. Thank you. I've got two words for you, Jack. I'm sorry. <laughs> Fuck, come on, Chuck. I've got a fish like a racehorse, bro. I'm busting, man. I'm busting. I need a wee, man. I'm wiggling in my seat. I need a wee, bro. I need to wee. Oh, man, come on. Oh, God, you know, I'm going to piss. Wow, he's still not back. Holy shit. I'm to check my email to see if he's sent anything. You can run, but you can't hide. Come on, Chucky boy. 
We're like fucking right there, bro. We're right fucking there. Oh, man. I need to fucking wash my balls. Here we go. Oh, fucking hell. <laughs> Hang on a second. Uh, it says that you're muted still, bro. There we go. <laughs> that was my fault. Oh, really? That was, that was my fault. Actually, the the battery died, and I. Oh. <laughs> unprofessional of me. I'm sorry, man. <laughs> sorry, Jack. Uh, sorry again, bro. <laughs> Jack. My bad, brother. <laughs> that's not on Carl. That's not on Carl. This is that's that's my fault. <laughs> I was like, man, we had such a good run, and we had like like the smallest bit to go, and it happened again. Yeah, yeah. No, I, right. I, I, said, I, I, said, I said, let me get a charge and let's get this finished up because I want to. I, I didn't want to go without sitting, you know, finishing up with you. You know. Thanks, bro. I really appreciate it, man. No, no okay. Problem. Thank you. Okay, uh, Coors Light was the favorite alcoholic beverage. Sure. The second last one on Five Second Frenzy is the naughtiest one, although sometimes the answer can be quite meaningful depending on, on, on how you feel. But favorite female body part? Ooh, there's a few. Um, list them. Let's start, let's start a list. I'd say let's go with the butt. Fantastic. Let's go with the breasts. Oh, of course, yep. Um, yeah, I think I'm gonna leave it there. Yep, well, fantastic. <laughs> you know, I, and and I'm not surprised that you picked the butt because I've seen you check someone's out a few times before. So, uh, <laughs> it, was, it, was yeah, it happens. It happens. <laughs> yeah. And Chuck, the last one on Five Second Frenzy, your favorite curse word. Probably, F, probably an F bomb if I have to. I try not to. I try not to drop them, but what they they feel right. You know what I mean when you when, of course. feel like you get you get the point across. But I uh, as I've gotten older, man, I really I try not to. I just uh, because I I got a few friends who drop them all the time, and it's always like when I hear them, I'm like, damn man, you don't. That sounds rough. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I understand, sir. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah. Once in a while, once in a while, you just got to. Right? When it calls for it, it's got to be an F-bomb. Fantastic. Uh, Chuck Palumbo, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me here today. Uh, this meant a lot to me. And, uh, you know, earlier I was like, man, I can't believe I'm going to get to interview Chuck Palumbo. I really oh, feel like I'm, I'm, you know, I'm getting somewhere with this podcast when, you know, you have bucket list guys that you list off when you first start it and then you eventually get there. So that's why it means a lot to me. And I knew that you and I had a bit in common. We're both Italian. We both like rock music. I knew that when you had the big slash top hat uh, and, uh, you know, this is the uh, meaningful part of the show where I tell you, you know, I live in Perth, Western Australia, the most isolated city in the world. 
So for you to have the reach to go this far and have someone over here be a massive fan of yours, I just want to say I hope you're so proud of everything that you've accomplished in the wrestling business and in life. You're still doing great things now. You're still passionate and creative. So I just want to let you know that I appreciate everything you've done and I hope you're proud. Well, man, you know something? Uh, that means a lot to me. And, you know, it really means a lot to me because, you know, for me, you know, I, I think about this and I've told people before, anytime someone's genuinely interested in what I have to say or what I've done or my career or my past or anything, my thoughts on things, that's, um, that's, an, that's very special to be able to, you know, have that. So uh, I, I thank you. I, you know, my hat's off to you. I really, I appreciate it. Sincerely, I really appreciate it, man. Thank you. Oh, thank very you very much. much, Chuck. Appreciate you so much, brother. And um, I'll be in touch with you again soon. Uh, I, thank you again. Oh, you're welcome. Great, hey, great questions, by the way. I, th I, th I thought all the questions were fantastic. Good questions. Thank you, man. Thanks, bro. And right, uh, thank you, everyone out there, for watching the Insider's Edge podcast here on the WCWA Network in conjunction with Blue Wire Hustle. I'm your host with the most on the West Coast, California in Fury, with my new friend, Chuck Palumbo. And we will see you next time. Thank you. Thank you.